Thanks for checking out this weekly Sunday message from Carrollton UMC. We pray that God will use this to speak to you and help you grow in faith. We invite you to join us this Sunday at our 10.30 a.m. one-hour service in person at our location in Uptown New Orleans or live online on our YouTube channel or Facebook page. To learn more about Carrollton, please visit carrolltonumc.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Our scripture this morning comes from the Old Testament. It comes from 1 Kings. Every time I preach from an Old Testament book like this, I worry because Gary's going to tell me after the service, yeah, you got that all wrong. I'm going to do my best today, Gary. It's 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women beside Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all of his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to Solomon twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to allow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of your hand, the hand of your son, Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. The word of God for us, the people of God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you in all ways, for you are our rock and our ever-present redeemer. Amen. Oh, it, 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 actually reading that out loud, that's kind of gripping. Um, I, I picked today's uh, sermon title purely because it was so easy. It's the first Sunday in fall. And I said, well, let's talk about the fall of man. Uh, but there's so much in the Bible about the fall of man. And, and, and good people like Solomon, where things have happened, um, Fallen from God's grace, some more permanently than others. Think about this, Adam and Eve, right in the start of the Bible, there it begins. Then you have Jacob deceiving his father and cheating his brother. 
You have Moses who does all these great things and then he has a loss of faith. And at the time to go into the promised land, God says this to him in Numbers. Because you did not believe in me, Moses, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of people of Israel, therefore you are not going to bring this assembly into the promised land. King Saul, King David in some of his worst moments. Elijah, quitting on the work of God. Jonah, who ended up being swallowed by a whale. The prodigal son, the apostle Peter, the disciple Judas. And then there's Solomon. Solomon always is, for me, like one of my favorite characters in the Bible, right? In my mind, he wrote so much that we refer to. I mean, he wrote the Proverbs. He wrote Ecclesiastes. We did like a, what, a seven or eight week sermon series on Ecclesiastes here in the church. He seemed to be the beautiful answer for the mess that David, his father, had gotten himself into. And God chose Solomon to do incredible things. He built the temple in Jerusalem at God's request. Sol it just said in our scripture, Solomon had two in-person meetings with God. I think I've had none. Solomon was blessed by being distinguished as being the person who was the most wise person ever, it was going to be the most wise person who will ever live. And God also saw fit to bless Solomon with wealth and honor. First Kings 3 says that Solomon had no equal among other kings that were out there. Both inside and out, Solomon was fully equipped to be the best king that Israel had ever known. And for a good long while, he was. If you read those first 10 chapters in Kings, Solomon is pretty much busting down the door for Yahweh. The written material that Solomon has produced and the works that he has undertaken and completed are staggering. He's ruling Israel with terrific discernment and the kingdom is thriving. But just then, just after we're told how Solomon completes the temple in Jerusalem, the text starts to reveal that there's some holes in Solomon's armor. For one, and to put it in the vernacular, Solomon had an issue with the ladies. Despite having everything that he needed in abundance, Solomon decided he also needed women, lots of women. The scripture tells us he had 700 wives plus. Scripture says they were foreign women from foreign lands, no issue there, but that they worshiped other gods. And in case there was any question, God had clearly said to Solomon, says so in the scripture, don't intermarry with them because they're going to surely turn your hearts away from me and toward their gods. And that's exactly what happened. Well, just like God said it would. So what's most gripping to me about this is that Solomon was blessed by God with more discernment, discernment and more wisdom than anyone else in history, and yet Solomon fell, and he fell hard. Solomon's desires shrouded his wisdom, and worst of all, they replaced Solomon's love for God. The back end of Solomon's life was just an abject mess that only vaguely remembered resembled the rest of his life. And as a result, the great Solomon did not end well. And at the end of his reign, deterioration and strife was everywhere in the kingdom of Israel. And within a year of Solomon's death, the land was divided into two kingdoms. And of course, then Israel's history was permanently altered and not for the good. If Solomon was not 
insusceptible to that kind of personal fall, then neither are we. Like Solomon, all of us at our core, at our hearts, we're kind of fickle. Now, we're not likely to take on 700 spouses who want us to worship their gods. In fact, I can remember, I used to work in a bicycle shop, and it was pretty much all guys there. And the boss, Mike, some of you know him, would admonish us against even taking one wife. He said, you stay single, you keep them all happy. You get married, you make one miserable. <laughs> but I digress. We're not going to take on 700 spouses, but we are fairly prone to letting our people around us and our projects and our passions become the objects of our affection. <clears throat> the process by which we turn the good in our lives into our gods and the loves into our lives as to lords over us, that process can be slow and subtle. <clears throat> to be sure, there's a way out. Jesus tells us we can always be forgiven, but that's going to be difficult if we are always guarding that other thing if we refuse to let go. We have to remember that no matter how long we've been walking with God, what we've accomplished for God, or what we've been entrusted by God to do, we will always be at risk on this side of heaven. And here's the worst part. Satan knows that if he takes us, if he takes someone who's been walking along closely with God faithfully, that will cause what one writer described as spiritual shrapnel. People around you get hurt. Solomon's fall into idolatry ultimately toppled an entire kingdom. Our fall could mean toppling families, friendships, marriages, or a church. Now, I will suggest to you that our potential problems, indeed also the issues that plagued all those historical figures that we named at the outset of the message, started not with some major sinful overt act, but instead the sinful acts were brought on by complacency in that individual's relationship with God. That concept of complacency brought me back to one of those 22 questions we considered in the last seven weeks from John Wesley, the 22 questions we studied, and it was this one. Do you go to bed on time, and do you wake up on time? That seemed at the time when we did that like such an innocuous question, but the outcome we discovered was surprising. We realized that this decision not to get out of bed on time was one of indifference and a contributing factor to not being awake and not being vigilant and analogous to, if not also leading to, sleepwalking through one's life as a complacent person. If I can't get up on time to do what I'm supposed to do, why in the world would God trust me to do his work? So my friends, it's the fall. It's time to get up. Every one of us has one or more things that is plaguing us and keeping us from being fully engaged in this church or being fully engaged as disciples of other people for Jesus or in giving our lives the appropriate narrow path that we're supposed to be on. For whatever it is that is plaguing you, here's an approach. Number one, acknowledge the problem. Nothing changes until we realize we need a change. We've got to stop making excuses. Number two, 
discuss that issue with someone else. Something powerful happens when things move from thoughts to actual words out of our mouth. When we admit our problem to other people, the problems become real. There becomes a sense of responsibility as opposed to when we simply just say it to ourselves and nothing happens. Third, bring the problem to God. Don't just mention it to God, but cry out to God for help. Think Psalm 25. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you, Lord, will ever be put to shame. And fourth, attack the problem. Come up with a game plan. You may need to separate the problem into smaller component parts and attack it piece by piece. I'm going to close today with a short scripture from Proverbs that was one of the scriptures we read on that sermon where we talked about, do I wake up on time? It's Proverbs 6, 9 through 11. You may remember it. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep? a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. That scripture is not just about sleeping in bed, but it's about complacency in general. It's about the various seri very serious problem of treating your relationship with God just like any other relationship you have in your life as though it is of no more importance than any other relationship. Scripture, our scripture today shows us, indeed history shows us, that the complacency which puts God any place but at the highest level of your life leads to disaster, even to the most worthy candidates. Jesus tells us, though, that our fall doesn't have to be permanent. We have all fallen but where we have fallen, but with Jesus, we can get up. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we know that with you and with Christ, all things are possible. Lord, as we ponder our faults and failures and allow them to drive a wedge between us and you, help us, Lord, to take that wedge out, to plea to you for help, to be courageous, to ask others, to work with us on our issues, and we can work with them on theirs, Lord. So that collectively, we as a community, Lord, the church can be the more powerful entity that you always intended the church to be. Not some insular group, Lord, but an entity which exudes your strength and your wisdom and your knowledge and your forgiveness, Lord, so that we can be a benefit to the community and to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.